Welcome to the Exercising Depression podcast. My name is Claire, your host, and today we're going to be talking about self-harm. strap in it's going to be a tough one but it's one that I've been wanting to talk about um recently and I think it's one I need to, I do need to talk about um now I've discussed self-harm my, my sort of foray with self-harm uh, a couple of times I think um and especially sort of recently ish um talking about my scarification story I did talk about self-harm but um I thought I would dedicate an entire episode to my relationship with self-harm and just sort of my experiences with it and how I really deal with that having been part a big part of my life. Um, so uh, this might be a long one, this might be a short one. I think it might be a bit of a long one, but it's one I wanted to talk about, like I said, and I think it's important to be open and honest about these kind of things, especially because this is exactly what I, meant, I started this podcast for, was just to talk about the everyday and the difficult parts of living with mental health problems um, and set of diagnoses and things and well like I said the point of this podcast for me was to to you know lift the stigma around talking about mental health um, and that comes with every part of it the good bits and the bad bits um, so yeah let's get into it so I, I briefly um briefly had a sort of flash in the pan ideations when it came to self-harm recently and that is kind of what triggered me and triggered uh, sort of initiated me to to really start thinking about talking about this in a, in a on a serious and more personal level um I guess I'll start from the beginning and work way up back up to recent moments but um self-harm hasn't been something I've always um dealt with it's not always something I turned to um during the harder parts of my life when I was younger so when I was sort of an early teenager I knew about self-harm and knew that it was something that people did when they were depressed or attention-seeking or they were you know goth or whatever it was never really something that I ever thought would be part of my own reality it always just seemed a part of mental illness that I didn't know about. Um, now I mentioned in the past couple of episodes when I was talking about talking with my family how the conversation of mental health was never really one that we had in our family, but not through, you know, it being hush hush or shut up or anything. It just wasn't really part of my reality as a child. Um, at the time, I didn't know that I knew people who had had depression or had problems with their mental health 
So things like self-harm was never really anything but what's us, what some other people did. And I never really understood the, the, the thinking behind it or the the reasons that people did it. So when I was in early teenagehood, that really wasn't anything. Um, I mean, I was hurting back then. I was I, I just assumed I was just an angsty teenager. I think I did once try to cut um something into my arm but more out of a angsty teenager um rebellious <laughs> trying to be edgy kind of thing rather than any real um psychological need for it or or you know it being part of a coping mechanism which it very much did come become for me but in in my late teenagerhood as it were as I became more aware of feeling like there was something not quite right with me um be it that depression or maybe even early onset bpd who knows um yeah i I don't really know like it wasn't really a a part of my reality in that way until i got to my early 20s and when i got to my early 20s is when i was really very 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 unwell and that is when i actually started firstly ever harming myself as a coping mechanism as a as a byproduct of whatever it is that I was dealing with um and it was it was a real coping mechanism for me I had I was utterly miserable in my early 20s I don't I can count the number of times I felt genuinely happy on two hands in from sort of you know 20 to don't know <laughs> so just before I got married I guess I don't know I don't know timelines are weird and they're not really important at the moment but I remember the awful feelings that I had and the, the hopelessness and the desperation I had and the emptiness I felt and it would all just build up and build up and build up inside me and I didn't want to cry even though I did I cried loads but crying just never did it for me it never had helped in any way you know quite often like you have a good cry and then you feel better afterwards because things build up and the crying like and you know it, it helps relieve that pressure but I never found that I've never been a crying type of person um that's not saying that I'm like saying it's bad but it's bad to cry but I've, I've not never been very an overly emotional person in that way the only time I cry um I cry at weddings which is really weird but that's only ever since I got married which is really strange to me. I think it's just because getting married for me was such a huge thing for me and such a beautiful and emotional moment for me. I, I see people, you know, getting married and I just it, it brings it all back to me. So that's how I, I cry at stuff like that. Um, but I found... And I didn't... Like, when I first started, like, self-harming, I didn't cut to begin with. Um, I burnt myself and I've mentioned this like I said if you go and listen to or you have listened to the losing a hero to suicide my scarification story um, I basically branded myself as a form of self-harm um, I was going to like, talk about what it was exactly that I did but no because I don't want to be giving people any pointers <laughs> on what you can use to hurt yourself um, obviously people will find a way but I just don't think it's appropriate for me to to talk about my my methods as it were 
But basically, I branded myself. Um, and this, I felt, really is what, weirdly, my body, my psyche wanted. It was that quick release of short, sharp, intense pain, but without any sort of like bleeding or aftercare in that way um it was a very much a a quick release of pressure for me and something that was very intense and something that hurt a lot but then stopped hurting once I'd stopped doing it and that's what I I needed that's that's not what I needed but that's what my body my mind craved and yeah that obviously led to scar scar tissue scarring um just looking down now where it did I could barely see them there was um as you may know or may not know I um I've covered the scars up as much as I can with branding um cosmetic branding uh, go listen to the episode the scarification story it, it, I'll, it'll tell everything <laughs> um I really don't want to get too too into that um now because I've already, already covered it but um so I can I can make out a lot of the scars here but at the same time they're covered by something cosmetic and something quite beautiful um so the branding scars I have I suppose I know my own body a lot better than anyone else and the branding scars are not as obvious to me anymore though there's one or two that are clearly branding scars oh yeah sorry my cat's here um that's her on the scratching post, sorry, <laughs> I should have mentioned that. She seems to seek me out whenever I um I record a podcast. Doesn't matter where I am, she'll uh she'll find me. Here she is. Hello. Hello, sweetheart. So hi. You just want a bit of attention, don't you? Yeah. And she's playing right next to the uh audio recorder so that's going to be really loud so sorry guys I'll let her have a little moment and then <laughs> we'll carry on hello no Rosie, Rosie, no, come on leave it be okay so I've had to move the dictaphone because she was rubbing on it and she's making lots of noise anyway um, yeah so I was in my early 20s and this is when I was living down uh, down south and I had a lot of mental health issues down there I was incredibly miserable I was undiagnosed with BPD and other things I had been going to therapy I had been to therapy a couple of times but it really hadn't done very much and I hadn't been prescribed any meds because I was seen as a overdose risk certain things that I regret now telling the doctor because I would have gotten medication much quicker had I been had I omitted certain um, certain things but anyway so yeah my early 20s was when I started self-harm and if I'm perfectly honest it was never anything I thought that I would ever do um it was always just something that other people did and that it was never something that I think oh, genuinely I never had the courage to do it I thought harming yourself like that is that's painful, <laughs> obviously. And I was never I was too scared to ever do anything like that, which you know, you don't do it 
for a reason. Uh, it's complicated what I'm saying, but I never thought I would be the kind of person that would self-harm until I did. And then I was astounded at how easy it was for me to do it. And the actual payback I had on it, like the, the gratification I had, the the way it helped me. Like, like I said, everything would build up and build up and build up and I'd feel like I was going to burst and I was just going to do something. I had to do something and, like I said, crying didn't help. I had no other outlets. I was really alone down there. Um, I was away from my husband, boyfriend, boyfriend at the time. Um, everyone else in my family had their own things going on and that's not me blaming them in any way. I I never opened up to them and I never talked to them about anything. So um, that was all, you know, it was just a catalogue of <laughs> crap, basically. I really, I went down south what, thinking, oh, what great opportunities. I can meet new people, try new things, new jobs. Maybe start a career somewhere, and it never really came to be. But anyway, I'm not going to talk about that because I hate talking about it. But yeah, that is when I started. I started self harming, and I found that burning and branding myself was my method. <laughs> and I don't know if if there's anyone out there listening who's ever had any experiences with self harm, but it can be addicting, like that sort of rush that you get when you do it and the relief afterwards like I used to feel so much better after I, I hurt, I'd hurt myself like I said the pressure would just go and I would just feel so much better and then obviously there's the endorphins from um, adrenaline from the pain and I would get like addicted to that thought like every time that I felt really bad which was quite often if I'm perfectly honest I would just crave doing that and I would I'd do it so often and my, my memory is fuzzy I mean it is anyway just in general because somehow I think depression does that to you I don't know but I got help ish I I didn't so much stop stop doing it but when I moved back up here so we moved back to my childhood home my childhood town, village, friends, you know, I came back and I felt a bit better for a while and I don't, I, I did, I did self-harm occasionally but it really wasn't at the magnitude and the, um, the level of what I did when I lived down south, especially sort of the last year or two years of, of living down there, um, I think it was the last, the last year was really very hard and, um, I came back up here, I had all my friends again, I I can't remember where I worked, I don't know if I went back, no I, I got another job somewhere else, doesn't matter, it doesn't matter, um, but I had people around me again, I was around my family again, like my grandparents were up here, and like I said my friends, and I felt better like in that respect, I'd had therapy, I hadn't had any medication but I had therapy, and this is when I was like, what, getting to 24, 24, 25, 26. Now that's when I, I worked in France. Um, I worked in France for six months and then again for three months a year after. And during that time I didn't 
harm myself in any way. I was I was happy in a strange way. Like I had the first time I went to France when I came home from there, I was moving in with my boyfriend, now husband, and that was that was amazing. And then it was the then I went to uni and all that, and it was when I went to uni. So I was there for three and a bit years. It was sort of in the last part of university that I started self-harming again and that's when I became very unwell again and this was after I got married actually um timelines are weird in my head and I don't really want to go into them because remembering everything is just going to take up so much time but when I got into it was after I got married that I really went downhill and it's nothing to do with being married it's just that just happens to be the timeline and it was my final year at university and I had a massive mental breakdown. And that's when I started self-harming. And this is when I started self-harming with a different intent. And a different method and a different outcome. So I hadn't slept one night for five nights or something like that by this time I was on I was on medication I think um but my sleep my sleep is is terrible anyway but for five days I hadn't slept and I got to the point where I was I had enough and I just was so exhausted and all I wanted to do was sleep I was just so tired and I remember being up at three in the morning, something like that, in my kitchen. And I, I mean, I'd, I'd started self-harming again. Um, prior to this, this incident, and I'd started cutting, not burning. I had started burning again, and then I, then I found cut, cutting was much more... <laughs> Weirdly satisfying, but I, I think that doesn't sound right, but it's the only way I can describe it. Um, and before then, like, I would I would have really bad nights and I'd be up, I'd get up in the night and I'd be hurting and there'd be that pressure and I'd, I'd cut myself. But then I, almost always I would go upstairs and tell my husband what I'd done and... He'd sit with me and he'd treat me and bandage me up and then try and get, you know, try and get me to sleep. But then that was what, there was that one night. Um, I'd not slept, yeah, like I said, five nights. And I was utterly, utterly exhausted. I couldn't think. I don't want to... I just didn't want to be awake anymore because I was so tired and I was so miserable. And I just had this real urge of like violence towards myself. I just I hated myself. I hated everything about me, everything. I was, I was a failure, I was a crap wife, I was not well, I was I would never do anything good in my life. And so I cut myself 
quite badly. And this sounds really strange, but I never had the intent that I wanted to end my life. I just really wanted to end the bits of me that wanted to die. (laughs) I wanted to stop these horrible feelings and stop these thoughts in my head and it was the only thing I felt I could do to stop it. Anyway, I that happened. <laughs> and then I had this weird moment of clarification and I rang 111, which is the non-emergency emergency number here in the UK. And, yeah, I got taken to hospital and stuff and patched up. And That's when I first had my experiences with the mental health team. People come into my house to check on me every day and stuff. But that's when, yeah, that's when cutting became my 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 weapon of choice, <laughs> as it were. Um, it got so bad, like if the months after that, it would that wouldn't be the last time that I would end up in hospital. It got so bad that my husband had to remove knives from the from the house and hide them. which I don't know where he hit him. But, yeah, I mean, how bad is that? Um, so, yeah, this would happen. Like, I would... I mean, after that, I got I got put on uh, a sleeping tablet, Zopiclone, and that helped for a while, because I... I mean, I only had, like... I can't really remember, like, three weeks' worth of that, so, and it's a, it's a sleeping tablet. You can get addicted to it, so... You not you don't have it long term, but it helped at the time. I slept quite a lot, and sort of seems to reset a little bit in that respect. In in sleeping, sleeping is is something I've struggled with almost my entire adult life. Um, since I was a teenager, sleep just isn't something that my body seems to want to do. I can't switch off. Like switching my brain off is really hard. Um, that's why being on metrazapine at the moment really does kind of help. It's kind of annoying because it, it knocks me out enough at night that I fall asleep and I don't wake up in the night. And it does get and it's got rid of my, all my hallucinations, which is wonderful. But it makes me feel like a zombie in the morning and I hate that because it takes me so long to get up. But, but yeah, and then it got to the point three, nearly three years ago now and this again is what I've, I've covered in my scarification story, that I was still in the throes of self-harming, hurting myself as a way of coping with my mental health, a way of coping with not wanting to be alive but not wanting to die at the same time. I just didn't want to feel like I do. I often described it as I didn't want to kill myself, I wanted to kill the part of me that wanted to die. And then, well, if you listen to the scarification story, Chester Bennington took his own life. And that is the day that I made the promise to myself that I would not harm myself again. And I have largely kept that promise. Uh, I've been tempted a, f- a couple of times in the past nearly three years. Even once, sort of, during, during lockdown and stuff, but... 
recently. So it's taken me back to bring it back round to sort of recently and um I had to I have these um little razors <laughs> these flip razors I use for my eyebrows and they've always been quite whenever I've seen them I've always thought mm-hmm, that's what I would use if I if I did ever want to See, now that's the thing, like, being on metrazapine and being in, ther- in successful therapy has stopped these like, these, these feelings, these ideations that I haven't felt, and obviously the promise I made to myself, I haven't felt the need or felt the want or felt the urge to, to harm myself because I have other ways of coping. And it's just, it, it's hard to explain, to, but... For someone who has had um, had self harm has been a large part of my adult life, and maybe there's people out there who understand what I'm saying, but it's just always there. It's like sort of having suicide. It's like being suicidal. Um, being suicidal doesn't mean that you want to kill yourself because if you wanted to kill yourself, you'd do it. I'd do it. This is just talking about me. Sorry. But the fact that I tell people, I talk to people, I say I am suicidal. It means that I I won't kill myself, and I won't attempt because it's out there. It's out there in the universe, and I've communicated that that feeling of being suicidal. So that's it's so hard to explain. It's so hard to explain. There's a guy on on Twitter who talks about BPD, and I can't for life remember his name now, and it's really. It's really bugged me, so I'm just going to have to quickly check. But he, he talks about that, and he encapsulates it perfectly. Um, Joe Tracini, that's what his name is, Joe Tracini. Um, but he, he... Is it Tracini or Tracchini? So, yeah, that, sorry, I did just quickly look at the... Um, at Twitter, um, and the comedian is called Joe Tracini or Joe Tricchini. Um, look him up on on Twitter, um, and he sort of really embodies what it is to be su- feel suicidal with BPD so perfectly. So he can describe it better than better than me. I'm really not very good at describing it, but um, yeah. So it's not been something that's been part of my thinking even like in my lowest lowest moments you know recently I've been it's been in my head but then it's always in my head but I haven't for almost three years now god that's coming up really quickly actually except recently um That I'm, I'm always reluctant to use the word trigger, even though I, I, I mentioned it in the beginning, sort of trigger warnings, but I, it, it, it really annoys me and it really upsets me that being triggered or having a trigger nowadays is something that people laugh at. It seems to become sort of the go-to way of making fun of quote-unquote snowflakes. And it, it's so harmful, that, because triggers, when you have... When you have triggers that, when you have real triggers, it's so hard to live with them. 
I mean, it's good knowing what they are. I, I have several trivic triggers that do trigger certain, certain memories, certain flashbacks, or certain moods, or certain ideations. And I know most of them. I became, you know, earlier on, like when I was in my early 20s, when I was really starting to sort of deal with a lot of things, I, I purposefully tried to... Um, find out what they were to, to identify my triggers so that I could I could I could avoid them or deal with them or you know head on you know deal with them head on but I know um my various triggers I know most of them and quite a lot of them are very easy to um, to avoid like certain things on tv programs films that kind of thing but there are certain things that I haven't had to deal with for a very, very long time. And I'm talking since my, since my teenage years. And recently, sort of in the past past week, past two weeks, sorry, I had a major trigger manifest. <laughs> and right now I don't really know what to do about it because it puts the fear of God into me and it's something annoyingly it's something that is linked to something I've worked on really really hard in my recent EMDR therapy I can't go into what it is unfortunately I just I can't I can't talk about it like that because I there are things I will never talk about on here um but one thing is has, has happened and it's happened twice now in, in, in as many weeks the most recent being Tuesday this is Friday, this has gone out and I don't know how to deal with it I don't know what to do about it and anyway so going back to sort of the theme of this of this episode I was I saw these little razors <laughs> in my drawer. And I said these are for my eyebrows, like you trying to figure out what like what they look, they look like. They're like little flip like switch knives, but switch blades, sorry, but it's a it's a razor. Google it. They're really you know, well widely available and they're using for eyebrows and mustaches and things, but I use them for my eyebrows. And I had them in my drawer and I thought if I'm going to do that, that's what I'm going to, probably going to use. And me, the old me <laughs> would have hidden them somewhere and kept them somewhere away from, well, away from where my husband could see, but he wouldn't know, he didn't know that this was ever a real threat until yesterday. So yesterday, I started writing poetry again, which is the way that I, I deal with intense emotions. Um, I'll put the poem that I wrote up on my Instagram. It's on my personal Instagram, but I'll put it on the, on the podcast Instagram, see what you guys think. <laughs> um... And I, I, a lot of familiar feelings were coming back and a lot of familiar thoughts were coming back and I felt a bit overwhelmed and thought, I am in real danger here of 
slipping back into a very bad habit. So I took these little razors and I gave them to my husband yesterday or the day before, I can't quite remember when. And said, you need to put these somewhere because they are far too tempting for me at the moment. And oh, the look on his face broke my heart. He looked so worried and so scared. He just looked so scared, that's what he looked like. And I just said, I'm not, because he knows this, this recent trigger. And I said, I just don't know how I'm, I am at the moment and I don't know what it is I'm gonna do. But these need to be out of sight because they are far too tempting for me at the moment to deal with this. So I guess that's a win for me. <laughs> Then I, I identified that I needed to take away this temptation and tell him about it. Because I could have so easily not done. I could have so easily just hidden them. But now that I know that they're gone, it kind of feels a little bit like that temptation's gone and that need is gone more than it was because I don't really have anything because now that he's on high alert as well now that I have this, these thoughts in my head now that he's on way high alert and oh, I hate that it must be so stressful for him and I hate that to say that I'm struggling at the moment is probably putting it lightly I'm really not in a good headspace at the moment, but I don't really know where it's going to go and I don't really know what to do about it. I don't know whether I should get in contact with the mental health team that I had a year or so ago and tell them that these... Well, it's just going to be so traumatic if I have to go through all that again. Especially now because, you know, COVID, I can't really go in to see a mental health team and it's not great that they should be able to come, should be coming to my house, you know, it's still very strict restrictions and I'm still very worried about becoming sick so it's going to be hard I don't really know what to do but dear listener don't worry as I know that that sounds like such a feeble thing to say at the moment because I've obviously said how distressed I am at the moment but I am seen like my husband knows where I am at the moment he knows everything By the time I, this goes up, my my um, my sister will know, my twin sister will know. So I know she listens to this podcast, so I'll tell her before she gets sense to listen to it. Um, but yeah, I'm not great at the moment, and this is the first time in a very long time that I've felt a real struggle with self-harming tendencies. And I don't know where I'm going to go with it. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what to do. Saying that, I'm safe. I am. I'm, I am genuinely safe. I, I I. don't want to harm myself. I don't want to do it because I, I've come so far and I've fought so hard. <laughs> I know that if I did, I'd feel horrendous and like a complete failure. So I'm safe. So don't worry, I'm, I'm safe. I just 
don't know how I'm going to be mentally for the next few weeks. I just don't know what to do. I don't know what's going to happen. But I'm safe, so just don't be worried. Honestly, please don't be worried. I am safe. Maybe I should bring my doctor and sort of tell him that I maybe need some sleeping tablets to help me stay asleep. Because I'm finding it really hard to, to drop off at the moment because my mind's 100 miles a minute. I'm hopefully talking to JP this weekend, which I'm really looking forward to. Probably on Sunday, I need to message him back, actually. Sunday's probably best. And I might record it, and I might have it as an episode next week. We'll see. I'm looking forward to that. Really, really nice to catch up with him. I can't wait. I miss him. Right, I'm going to end this now, because I don't want to go on too long. Um, Yeah. I hope everyone's okay. Like I said, don't worry about me. I am safe. I'm okay. In most respects, I'm no danger to myself. Um, and I have support. I have an incredible support network here. Um, I have my husband. I have my sisters. I have my family. Um, so I'm good in that way. Ugh, I don't know. Anyway, I'm going to leave it here. I hope everyone else is doing okay. Um, if you want to get in contact with me, please do. Um, you can email me at exercisingdepressionpodcast at gmail.com. I'll maybe put up my poem on my um, podcast Instagram, which is at uh, exercisingdepression underscore podcast. Um, also Twitter, check out that guy. Um, he's actually really funny. But I'm also on Twitter, which is at edepressionpod. And yeah, get in contact with me. Tell me how you're doing. Um, tell me how you're feeling. Yeah. See you guys.